0: this reading of the poem of the man god the private revelation of the life and ministry of jesus of nazareth now out of print this five volume set of books is a narration of the life of jesus which extends from the birth and childhood of the virgin mary through the public ministry of jesus his passion and resurrection and closes with the assumption into heaven The narration is interspersed with direct dictations from Jesus for the sake of the whole world. These highly inspired visions were recorded by Maria Valtorta around the time of World War II, yet she did not consider herself the author. They were first published without her name shortly before her death, and only posthumously was her name added. My sole aim with this podcast is to share this lost treasure with the world. I hope you will enjoy them as much as I have, and if you do, please share them. Thank you for listening. Poem of the Man, God, Book 1, Number 19, Mary and Joseph Set Out for Jerusalem. I see their departure to go to Elizabeth's. Joseph has come with two little donkeys to fetch Mary, one for himself, the other for Mary. One of the little animals has the usual saddle with a strange gadget attached to it. Later, I gather that it is a kind of luggage rack on which Joseph fastens a small wooden casket, a small trunk, we would call it nowadays, which he brought for Mary's clothes to prevent them from getting wet. I hear Mary thank Joseph wholeheartedly for the provident gift in which she packs what she takes out of a parcel she had made up previously. They close the door of the house and start off. It is daybreak, for I can see the rosy dawn in the east. Nazareth is still asleep. The two early travelers meet only a shepherd who is driving forward his little sheep, which are trotting along, one against the other, jammed in close flock. They are all bleating. The little lambs, with their sharp, shrill voices, bleat more than the others, and want their mother's breasts even while moving. But the mothers are hurrying towards the pastures, and with their louder bleatings they urge the little ones to follow them. Mary looks and smiles, and since she has stopped to let the herd go by, she bends on the saddle and caresses the mild little beasts that pass near her donkey. When the shepherd arrives carrying a newly born little lamb in his arms, and he stops to speak to Mary, she smiles and caresses the pinkish little face of the lamb that is bleeding desperately, and she exclaims, It's looking for its mother. Here is your mother. She won't leave you. Of course she won't, little lamb. In fact, The ewe rubs herself against the shepherd, then stands up on her hind legs and licks the face of her little one. The herd passes by, making the noise of water drops falling on leaves. Behind it, there is the dust raised by the trotting feet of the sheep, and the patterns of their footprints on the dusty road. Joseph and Mary take to the road again. Joseph is wearing his large mantle. Mary has on a kind of striped shawl, because it is a very cool morning. They are now in the country, and they are proceeding one beside the other. They seldom speak. Joseph is thinking of his business. Mary is following her own thoughts, and in her concentration, she smiles at them. At times, she looks around and smiles at the things she sees. Now and again, she looks at Joseph, and then an expression of sad gravity darkens her face. Then she smiles again, still looking at her provident spouse, who speaks so little, and when he does speak, it is only to ask her whether she is comfortable and whether she needs anything. By now there are many people on the road, particularly near and inside villages, but Mary and Joseph do not pay much attention to the people they meet. They proceed on their trotting donkeys in the midst of the noise of the harness bells, and they stop only once in the shade of a thicket to eat some bread and olives and to drink at a well that runs down from a grotto they stop later to take shelter from a sudden heavy downpour from a very dark cloud. They have taken cover under the mountain against a protruding rock that protects them from most of the heavy rain. Joseph wants Mary to put on his big mantle, which is proof against water, and he insists so much that Mary is obliged to yield to the insistence of her spouse, who, to reassure her of his own immunity, covers his head and shoulders with a small gray blanket, which was on the saddle probably the donkey's blanket. Now Mary looks like a little monk, with her face framed by the hood and the mantle closed round her neck and covering all her body. The shower slackens and turns into a tedious, drizzling rain. Mary and Joseph start off again along a muddy road, but it is springtime and after a short while the sun makes the journey more comfortable. Also, the two little donkeys are now trotting more happily along the road. I do not see anything else because the vision ends here. (laughs) Poem of the Man, God Book 1, number 20, From Jerusalem to Zechariah's House We are in Jerusalem. I know the town very well now, with its streets and gates. The first thing Mary and Joseph do is go to the temple. I recognize the stable where Joseph left his donkey on the day of Jesus' presentation in the temple. Also now, he leaves the two donkeys there after feeding them. And then he goes with Mary to worship the Lord. When they come out, they enter a house which apparently belongs to people they know. They take some refreshment there, and Mary rests until Joseph comes back with a little old man. This man is going your way. You will not have to travel a long way by yourself to get to your relatives. You can trust him, because I know him. They get on their donkeys again, and Joseph goes with Mary as far as the gate. It is not the one they entered, but a different one. And they part there. Mary proceeds with the little old man, who is as talkative as Joseph was silent, and takes an interest in many things. Mary answers impatiently. In front of the saddle she has now the little trunk, which Joseph's donkey had carried earlier, and she is no longer wearing the large mantle. Neither has she on the shawl, which is folded on the trunk, and she is really beautiful in her dark blue dress and white veil that protects her from the sun. How beautiful she is! The old man must be somewhat deaf because Mary, who is wont to speak in a very low voice, had to speak loudly to make herself heard, and now he is tired. He has finished with all his questions and news and is dozing on the saddle led by the donkey that is familiar with the road. Mary takes advantage of this respite to collect her thoughts and to pray. It must be a prayer that she sings in a low voice, looking at the blue sky with her arms crossed over her breast, while her face is bright and happy because of some internal emotion. I see nothing else. And even now that the vision is interrupted as it happened yesterday, I am left with Mother near me, visible to my internal sight so clearly that I can describe for you the light rosy hue of her cheeks, not very chubby but gently soft, the bright red of her little lips, and her clear blue eyes sweetly shining between her dark blonde eyelashes. I can tell you how her hair, divided into in two, on the crown of her head, falls softly with three undulations on each side, as far down as to cover half of her little rosy ears, and then disappears with its pale, shiny gold behind the veil covering her head, because I see her with her mantle over her head, wearing a dress of paradisiac silk, and a dark mantle, as thin as a veil, of the same cloth as the dress. I can tell you that her dress is tight around her neck by means of a sheathing inside which runs a cord, the ends of which form a knot in front at the base of her neck. Likewise, her dress is gathered at her waist by a thicker cord, also of white silk, hanging down her side with two tassels. I can even tell you that her dress, tight as it is at her neck and waist, forms seven round soft folds on her breast the only ornament of her very modest garment. I can inform you of the chastity emanating from all her aspect, from her so delicate and harmonious forms which make her such an angelical woman. And the more I look at her, the more I suffer, thinking of how much they made her suffer, and I wonder how they could have had no mercy on her, so meek and kind, so delicate also in her physical appearance. I look at her, and I can hear once again all the shouting on Calvary, also against her, all the mockery and insults, all the maledictions shouted against her because she was the mother of the convict, Now I see her beautiful and tranquil, but her present countenance does not cancel the memory of her tragical face during those hours of agony or that of her desolate face in the house in Jerusalem after Jesus' death. And I would like to be able to caress and kiss her cheek so delicately rosy and soft to remove with my kiss that remembrance of grievous tears as she certainly remembers as I do. You cannot believe how much peace it gives me to have her near me. I think that to die seeing her must be as sweet and even sweeter than the sweetest hour of one's lifetime. During the time that I did not see her thus, all for myself, her absence was a great sorrow to me, just like the absence of a mother. I now feel once again the ineffable joy which was my companion in December and early January, and I am happy, notwithstanding that the sight of the torture of the passion casts a veil of grief on all my happiness. It is difficult to explain and make you understand what I feel and what has been happening since February the 11th, when in the evening I saw Jesus suffer in his passion. That sight has changed me completely. Whether I die now or in a hundred years' time, that vision will always be the same in intensity and consequences. Previously, I used to think of the sorrows of Christ Now I live them, because one word or a glance at an image is enough to make me suffer all over again what I suffered that evening, and to be horrified at those tortures, and I grieve over his desolate sufferings, and even if nothing reminds me of them, their remembrance tears my heart. Mary is beginning to speak, and I become silent. She says directly, "'I will not speak much, because you are very tired, my poor daughter.' I only wish to draw your attention and the attention of readers to the constant habit of Joseph and mine of giving priority to prayer. Tiredness, haste, worries, occupations never hindered our prayer. On the contrary, they helped it. It was always the queen of our occupations, our relief, our light, our hope. If in sad moments it was a consolation, in happy ones it was a song. But it was always the constant friend of our souls, It detached us from the earth, from our exile, and it raised us up towards heaven, our fatherland. Not only I, who by now had God with me, and I had but to look at my bosom to worship the Holy of Holies, but also Joseph felt united to God when he prayed, because our prayers were a true adoration of the whole beings, which melted with God by worshipping him and by being embraced by him. And please note that not even I, although I had the eternal God in me, not even I felt exempted from respectful homage to the temple. The deepest holiness does not exempt anyone from feeling a mere nothing with regard to God, and from converting such nothingness into an endless hosanna to God's glory, since he allows us to do so. Are you weak, poor, faulty? Invoke the holiness of the Lord, holy, holy, holy. Invoke the Blessed One to assist you in your misery. He will come and instill His holiness into you. Are you holy and rich in merits in the eyes of God? Invoke the holiness of the Lord just the same. It is infinite and will increase yours. The angels, who are superior to the weaknesses of man, do not cease singing their Sanctus, even for an instant, and their supernatural beauty increases with each invocation of the holiness of our God. Imitate the angels. Never divest yourselves of the protection of prayer, which blunts the weapons of Satan, the malice of the world, the incentives of the flesh and mental pride. Never lay down this weapon which causes heaven to open and pour out its graces and blessings. The world needs a shower of prayers to be purified from the sins that draw punishments from God. And since only a few people pray, those few must pray as if they were many. They must multiply their living prayers to make up the necessary amount to obtain graces. Prayers are living when they are flavored with true love and sacrifice. My dear daughter, it is a good thing, pleasing to God and meritorious, that you should suffer because of the sufferings of my Jesus and mine, in addition to your own. Your sympathetic love is so dear to me, but do you want to kiss me? Kiss the wounds of my son. Dress them with the balm of your love. I suffered spiritually the pangs of the scourges, of the thorns, and the torture of the nails and the cross. And likewise, I feel spiritually all the caresses given to my Jesus, as they are as many kisses given to me. And then, come, I am the Queen of Heaven, but I am always the Mother, and I am happy. And the vision ends.